want to invite you to take your Bibles now and turn with me to the book of Hebrews once again. We're still in chapter 11. You recall Hebrews chapter 11 has a special nickname. It's called the Faith Hall of Fame. And so we'll be reading that together. And in your bulletins it says that we'll start in verse 7, but actually it should be verse 17. So Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 17, and we're going to read to the end of the chapter, but then also two verses into the next chapter. So 11, 17 to 12, verse 2. And when you get there, would you rise out of reverence for God's word and let us read together. Hear the word of God. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient, because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept relief so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all of these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Therefore, 
Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This is the word of God. You may be seated. <clears throat> Suffering is not fun. Being mistreated doesn't feel good at all. Enduring is hard. Especially if it comes as a result of something that we believe. As human beings, we all always want to avoid suffering. If option A leads to suffering, but option B does not lead to suffering, or at least less suffering, we will normally choose option B, won't we? Because who actually wants to go through suffering? Who wants to be mistreated in any way? It's much easier to go with the flow, to blend in, so we will experience as little suffering from others as possible. So then what helps us through suffering for what we believe? What keeps us going when we are mistreated for our faith? How can we continue to put one foot in front of the other? What keeps us from giving up? How do we hang in there when the pleasures of sin call out to us? How do we finish the race well? The answer is, we look to the finish line. Where Jesus stands, waiting for us, cheering us on. Because Jesus standing at the finish line is better than any suffering we may endure. And he is worth far more than the pleasures of sin in this life can offer. Our passage this morning continues in Hebrews chapter 11. And as I've already mentioned, this chapter has a special nickname. Many people like to call it the Faith Hall of Fame. <clears throat> and last week, we began our tour through this Hall of Heroes. And we saw Abel and Enoch and Noah, Abraham and Sarah. They were all waiting for a permanent city, a city not built with human hands, but an eternal and heavenly city designed and built by God. And as we continue to walk through this faith hall of fame this morning, we're going to see many more heroes of faith. But it feels as though it's ramping up to something big. It feels like it's leading up to a great climax. But the problem is, is that we get to the end of chapter 11 and we stop reading why? Because there's a big number 12 in the way. And as I've reminded us before, the, the chapter numbers are not part of the Bible. The author of Hebrews certainly didn't write a big 12 there. And that's why I've included verses 1 and 2 from chapter 12 in our passage of study this morning. Because Hebrews would have wanted us to keep on reading for the big finish. 
Because all of these heroes of faith from the Old Testament, they're just in the stands cheering us on. They're part of that great cloud of witnesses surrounding us. But it is Jesus who's standing at the finish line. We're not looking to Noah. We're not looking to to Abraham or Moses or David as we strain forward to that finish line. No, we've got our eyes fixed on Jesus. He's the grand finale in the Faith Hall of Fame. He is what everything has been leading up to. He is not simply in the Faith Hall of Fame as the ultimate and only true faithful one, but much more than that, he is the one who designed the Faith Hall of Fame in the first place. He's the one who laid its foundation and set its last brick in place. So the Lord Jesus Christ is the object of our faith from beginning to end. This morning, we're going to look at four points coming out of our passage as we consider what endurance looks like in the face of suffering, mistreatment, or even the seductive power of sin. So God wants us, first of all, to trust in his promise by faith and also to turn away from sin by faith and also to endure by faith. And finally, God wants us to fix our eyes on Jesus. So let's take a look at our first point this morning, where we see that God wants us to trust in his promise by faith. We look at verses 17 to 19. We're taken back to Abraham once again, specifically to that time when he was commanded by God to take his miracle child, Isaac, his precious only son, the son of promise, the very one God had promised to multiply into a great nation as many as the stars in the sky and grains of sand on the beach and to sacrifice him on an altar. Look at verse 19 with me. It says, Abraham considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him. This was the faith of Abraham, trusting in the promise of God. Just think for a moment the suffering that Abraham must have gone through in that moment. The questions running through his mind. Obeying God would cost him the most precious thing he had in his entire life. And yet, it was the trust that he placed in God that sought him through. We see here that Abraham's trust in God even transcended this life. Hebrews says that Abraham figured that God could raise Isaac back to life if he so chose. And in a certain sense, Hebrews muses, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. Brothers and sisters, we have seen very little of the gospel so far as we have toured the Faith Hall of Fame here in Hebrews chapter 11. But here in this verse, there is a loud gospel whisper. For Isaac is a type and foreshadowing of the true miracle child who would come, the true son of promise, Jesus Christ, who would really rise from the dead 
And Hebrews is hinting at the fact that Abraham's faith in the possibility of Isaac's resurrection is a foreshadowing of the faith that is placed in the reality of Christ's actual resurrection from the dead. When we are enduring hardship and suffering and opposition, we must turn our hearts towards the gospel, where the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ has become my spiritual death and resurrection as I look forward to the actual resurrection of my body in glory, to be like Christ's glorious body. For just as Abraham understood back then, so we understand now that death is not the end, but just the beginning. We look forward to the great resurrection when we will be with Jesus. And so when the going gets tough, when we face suffering, especially the kind of suffering where we are being mistreated for our faith, we put our trust in, in the promise of God that extends beyond this life into eternity. After Abraham, the other patriarchs, Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, they all continued in the same faith as Abraham, blessing their sons, looking forward to the promised land, trusting in God. They did not have easy lives either. They experienced their fair share of suffering too. Isaac had his own son lie to his face and steal the blessing that was meant for his brother. Jacob had to leave his family behind, nearly being killed by his brother Esau. He had the sorrow of thinking his precious son Joseph was dead for 20 years. Joseph himself endured great hardship, sold as a slave to Egypt, then thrown into prison for a crime he didn't commit. And all the while, in spite of all these hardships, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, all continued to trust in God and in his promise that something better was coming. So that's our first point this morning, that when we are facing uh, suffering of various kinds, let us put our trust in God and his promise, the promise of eternal life. Our second point looks at verses 23 to 31. And the point we see here is to turn away from sin by faith. God brings suffering into our lives for, for a purpose, for a reason, in order to refine us and to make us more like Christ. But it can be easy when we're suffering or we're being mistreated to, to look back at our old way of life. And when we're weak, we can fall into the temptation of thinking about the pleasures of sin and the false happiness that sin offers. But let's look at the example of Moses in verse 24. It says, By faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Did you catch that? It happens so quickly that if you blink, you could miss it. It says he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth. Wait a moment. Hold up, Christ? Wait, what? This is the first time that Christ has been mentioned directly in this whole chapter. 
wait, Moses' faith was in Christ? Moses was enduring reproach for the sake of Christ? But then that would mean Hebrews isn't saying, wait a second, is Hebrews saying? Yes. All this repetition that we've been seeing throughout this chapter, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, Hebrews is actually saying that it's all in Christ. Because if this is true of Moses here, it's also true of Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses' parents. They didn't necessarily know about Jesus. They didn't necessarily know specifically about the Messiah who would come who would be prophet, priest, and king. But they knew God had promised salvation and that God was building them an eternal city. And if we think about Moses, Moses literally had it all. When Moses was born, Egypt was the superpower of that day. It was the leader in culture, in religion, in art, in literature, in philosophy, in mathematics, in architecture, you name it. Egypt was the most sophisticated nation on earth. And Moses was at the very top of it all. He was the adopted son of the king's daughter. He would benefit from the best of what Egypt had to offer, the best education, great wealth, great power, moving among the nobility and the elites of Egyptian power. Moses had it all, but he gave it all up. He chose to be mistreated with the people of God rather than enjoying the pleasures of sin for a short time. And that's really the choice that we must all make, every single one of us. Am I going to enjoy to the fullest, the pleasures of sin for this very short time that I have here on earth and then face the wages of sin, which is eternal death and the fires of hell? Or, like Moses, and I'm, am I going to be part of the people of God, enduring mistreatment for a short time while I look forward to, the, to eternal life in Christ? <coughs> Moses chose the latter. He understood that as much wealth and treasure and power and pleasures that Egypt offered him, the reproach suffered for the promise of Christ offered a much greater reward in the end. Moses took the eternal perspective. Verse 27 tells us that Moses' faith was in the one who is invisible, that is God, and this is what helped him to endure. Verse 28 carries another hint of the gospel. As Hebrews draws our attention to the sprinkled blood of the Passover, which is a foreshadowing of Christ's sacrifice. Verse 29 shows the contrast between the people of God who trust in God, crossing the Red Sea on dry land, and the Egyptians who hated God. They were drowned in those same waters. Moses faced the choice between all the best pleasures of sin that Egypt had to offer on the one hand and the eternal rewards of suffering as a child of God 
And he saw firsthand God's mighty hand and outstretched arm delivering his people out of the house of bondage. And so when we face suffering or mistreatment for our faith, God wants us to trust in his promise and to turn away from the pleasures of sin by faith. Our third point this morning comes in the next section, verses 32 to 40, that God wants us to endure by faith. Here, Hebrews runs out of space. He just wants to talk about everyone he can, from Gideon to Samuel, but he admits here, I just don't have enough time to do it all. But he lists out all of these names in order to show that, that the people of faith continue to trust in God. Verses 33 to 34 summarize the mighty exploits of these heroes of faith. It says, They through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. This shows how God was with his people empowering them to carry out his will and purpose. Verse 35 tells us that women even received back their dead by resurrection. This happened during the prophetic ministries of Elijah and Elisha, where mothers received back their dead sons by the power of God. But the second half of the verse then points to the contrast, because there were many others who endured harsh torture, and death. Why? Because they were looking forward to the great resurrection, when they would rise again to a better life. Like Moses, they were going to trade in the pleasures of this fleeting life for the eternal life that was to come. Verse 36, Others suffered mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Wow. These people knew suffering. They knew what it meant to be mistreated for their faith. And what kept them going? How did they endure all of this misery? They were longing for something better. A better city. A better homeland. A better resurrection. A better life. To top it all off, verse 39 tells us that they died without receiving what had been promised. All their lives they longed for the promise and they endured great suffering because of the promise. But they did receive it in the end. It was still in the future for them. It was still to come. Why? Because God wanted to include us too. It says, All these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. And so in the last verse here, Hebrews has included us in the Faith Hall of Fame. We are part of this long line of, of the faithful people of God. We are part of this. 
We too face uh, suffering of various kinds. We too can face mistreatment for our faith. But just like them, we are called to endure these things as we look forward to the fulfillment of God's promise in Jesus Christ. The pleasures of sin in this life pale in comparison to the glory of heaven. These light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. We can endure the suffering of this life because God is with us. And he has promised us something better by far. And as I mentioned before, our last point spills over into chapter 12. This is one of those places where we ever put the chapter numbers in, they made a big mistake here. Because verses 1 and 2 should be part of chapter 11. There should not be a break here. Because in verse 1, look with me there. Who is the great cloud of witnesses that surrounds us? Well, they're all the, the heroes of the faith from chapter 11. And as we consider their endurance by faith in the face of suffering and mistreatment, should we give up and, and go back to the pleasures of sin in our old life? No, Hebrews says here. Instead, we are to push forward. We are to run with joyful desperation. Hebrews says here to lay aside every weight as we run. Why is it that we run in, t -shirt, in a t-shirt and shorts? Because we want to be as light as possible. Have you ever tried to run with a backpack on your back? That doesn't help at all. No, remove everything that hinders, Hebrews says, so that you can run fast in the Christian race. Get rid of the sin that trips you up and, and tangles you all up so that you can run the race that God has set before you. It's not an easy race. So we must run with great endurance. But it's worth it all. It's worth it all to finish this race. Because verse 2 tells us who is standing at the finish line. And, and this is what... This is, all, this is what all of chapter 11 has been steadily leading up to. This is what all of the faith, all of the endurance, all of the promises have been leading up to. This is what gets us through our race. This is what keeps us going when we don't think we can take another step. We keep our eyes fixed on who is standing at the finish line. Everything on either side of us fades away. He is the one who fills our vision. Nothing else matters except getting to him. He is the goal that we strain and reach out for. Verse 2 says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That's who's standing at the finish line. That's who we're running our race for. Jesus is the founder and perfecter of our faith. If you're reading the NIV this morning, it might say the author and perfecter. If you have your King James Bible, it says the author and finisher. Whatever words you may have, it all amounts to this. The meaning is, when it comes to our faith, Jesus 
is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the first and the last. He started it, and he has finished it. When it comes to our faith, it's all about Jesus from beginning to end. In our tour through the Faith Hall of Fame, he's the one who stands as the greatest exhibit. All the other heroes of faith are pointing to him. But even more than that, he's the one for whom the whole hall was built in the first place. And he's the one who built it. He laid the first foundation stone and the last pile on the roof. He is the author and the finisher. He's the pioneer and the perfecter. Because if anyone knew suffering, it was Jesus. Isaiah 53 says that he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. We esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that is before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Jesus knew the suffering of the cross. He knew not only the pain, the physical pain of the cross, but also the shame and humiliation that came along with it. And yet, verse 2 says, he looked beyond the cross to the joy that was set before him, that is the joy waiting for him at his finish line. And so he endured the cross, treating the shame and the humiliation associated with it as if it were nothing. And he took his seat as ruler of the universe at the right hand of God's heavenly throne. Jesus knows all about our struggles. Why? How? Because he went through it too. Actually, he went through far worse than anything we will ever face. Because his suffering was not just about the physical pain that he endured but it also included the spiritual suffering of being the sin-bearer. Oh, how Jesus suffered for you and for me. Let us suffer a little while for him. So how can we endure the suffering that we experience in this life? What gets us through when we may be mistreated or maligned for our faith? Well, it's all because Jesus is standing at the finish line. We trust in God's promise by faith. We turn away from sin by faith. We endure by faith. And we fix our eyes on Jesus by faith. For he is the one who makes all of this worthwhile in the end. Let us pray. <coughs> Father God, we thank you for this chapter, chapter 11, with all this, this great hall of fame, this hall of heroes of faith. But Father, we're, we're thankful so much for those opening verses in chapter 12 that tell us who the beginning and the end of our faith is. That Jesus is the one standing at our finish line. 
And while the, the people of God in that great cloud of witnesses may be cheering us on from the sidelines, we're not looking to them. We're looking to Jesus Christ. He is the one that our eyes are fixed on. He is the one waiting for us at the finish line. And he is the one who gives us the strength to continue to put one foot in front of the other and to run our race with wild abandon. And so, Father, we pray that as we reflect upon these things, that you would work in our hearts, Father. That as we truly think about these things and meditate upon these things, are there things weighing us down in our race? Is there sin that is easily tangling us so that we can't run our race well? Father, help us to examine ourselves. To put aside these things, to run that race with endurance, all for Jesus. Father, are we feeling suffering, maybe physical pain, or, or hardships, or, or maybe we're, we're feeling mocked and laughed at for our faith. Well, Jesus is still at that finish line. Father, may that be the hope and the encouragement that all of these heroes of faith endured because they were looking forward to something better. But they were looking through through the mists and darkness of of. Uh, of a cloud, but rather we see clearly, we know who it is who we're running for. We know who it is that we're enduring for. And he is worth it all. We thank you, Father, that he knows more about suffering than any of us ever will. For he was the sin bearer and he suffered in his soul as well as in his body for our sakes. And so, Father, help us to run to him with all of our cares, with all of our sufferings, with all the things that we experience and go through in this life. Because truly, he does know all about our struggles. He will guide till the day is done. There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. No, not one. We're so grateful for that, Father. That he is no longer lowly either. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords who sits at your right hand, ruling over all things. And it is his face that we desire to see more than any other. It's in his precious name we pray these things. Amen.